Well, the Kamer Daf Mem Chet Hamad Aleph. Tzniut is a woman's right, given the Baya he Tzniuta. The Gemara tells us an, an interesting story, and in, as an aside, working through the story and through the Halachot here, we get an interesting perspective on Tzniut that's a little bit different from the way it's usually framed. What is the case? There was a woman who went to bake her dough in a, particular, in a particular house. People used to rent out their ovens. Not everybody had an oven. So the woman would prepare the dough at home and she would then take the dough either to a public baking area or to an individual who was, who was renting out his oven. And she took her dough to such a place and was kneading the dough and working the dough there. Ata barcha de mari de beta a goat belonging to the owner, you know, we've said often, you've got to use your imagination when you're learning. You've got to actually see the, see the situation. It's quite funny. So she's busy with her dough, and a goat walks in. Achla lelisha, and she eats, his, she eats her dough. Chavil umit. He takes ill from eating the dough, and he dies. Now, based on the Gemara of the last day or two, what should the din be? Goat's problem. Goat's problem. The goat shouldn't be eating things that he shouldn't be eating. A goat should know better than that. He of her Rava. Rava said she has to pay. She has to pay for the goat. Says the Gemara, Does that not then disagree with the Rav's din, which you quoted correctly, according to Rav we had in yesterday's daf? The goat shouldn't be eating the, the dough. It's not her business. Because Rav said the goat shouldn't be eating. Says the Gemara, it's very different. There, in the case of Rav, this woman came into the situation. She came into this area without any kind of permission. So clearly she wasn't going to take responsibility for the animals eating. He just put his fruit in the yard without asking any kind of permission. He's not taking responsibility for that. But in the case of the of the goat that we're learning today, he invites her in to use her oven to bake her bread. She comes in, and, there, and that's a completely different situation. Tosfus goes out of his way to, to point out that this is, not, this is not the real issue. The real issue is not whether she has permission to come in or she doesn't have permission to come in. The real issue we'll see in the next piece, where the Gemara says, but we've got a case where a woman comes without permission to grind her wheat in the mill of the owner. So she plans to tell him later on, or she's a friend, and, and she knows that he won't mind her using the, the mill, but she doesn't get permission, so nobody knows she's there. She comes into the area, or into the yard where the mill is, and she grinds her wheat there. And the owner's animal eats the wheat. The owner is potter because she shouldn't have been there. But if the owner's animal dies from eating the wheat or the, the, the flour, she is responsible. That seems to be because she had no business being there. She didn't ask permission. Implying, but if she would have asked permission, then she would not be obligated. So here again we see, in this case, uh, we've got two conflicting cases. A woman comes in without permission. In both cases, cases it's without permission. In the one case, she's grinding her wheat. She's milling her wheat. In the other case, she's kneading her dough. In both cases, the landlord's animal eats the food. The animal dies. In the case of the dough, he is chayev. She's not responsible. 
In the case of the wheat, she is responsible. Ask the Gemara, that doesn't seem to make any sense. What's the difference? Amri answers the Gemara, an amazing answer. Nitchon chitim kivandelo bayit sniyuta midi lo bayi misalki marvata dechatsa nafshayu. If she's grinding wheat, she doesn't need tzniyot. Just notice those words. She doesn't need tzniyot. And therefore, the owner doesn't have to withdraw himself from the, from the mill. He's entitled to be there, and she's entitled to assume that he's there. So if she's in the, in the mill, even though she came in without permission, she, the owner is, is around. It's his business. So she doesn't have to think to herself, I've got to make sure that this animal doesn't eat the, the food. And he should be watching out for it. But when it comes to baking, to kneading, there she needs nafshayu. The owner of the yard has to withdraw himself. So she should be responsible for, the, for watching out that the animal doesn't get damaged. And in this scenario, we learn a lot about life at that time, about the laws of Tznut, about the way people interacted, about men and women in the workplace. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very interesting case altogether. What does it mean she needs Tznut? Says Rashi, when a woman needs the dough, she rolls up her sleeves and she's not covered the way she normally is covered. When she's milling the wheat, she doesn't have to do that. She just pours the wheat into the in, into the hob and the, and the mill does the work. But when she's physically busy kneading the dough, she has to roll, roll up her sleeves and he leaves the room when, when she does that. Why? Because Baya hits Niyuta, because she needs Tzniyut. Let's just understand the, the, the longness of it first. Firstly, it's very interesting that on this very Rashi, where the Rashi says, Shemegala Zro'oteha, the Chazon Ish says the zroa is from the elbow to the shoulder, the upper part of the arm. And from the fact that the Gemara says that the reason he has to leave is because she's revealed the upper part of her arm, tells you that the bottom part of the arm is not erva. So the Chazunish, in this case, takes a lighter view than the Mishnabrura. And the Chazunish says from the elbow to the wrist, that is, that's dependent on fashion. If you're living in a place where women normally cover that part, then that part has to be covered. If you're living in an area where they don't, where they wear shorter sleeves, then that's okay, then that's not, not erva. It's from this Rashi that the Chazunish proves his point. Because Zroa means, according to the Chazunish, means from... The shoulder means from the elbow to the shoulder, it means the upper part of the arm. Implying that if it were just the bottom part of the arm, he wouldn't have to leave the, the, the premises because that's not error. Now this all makes sense according to the Rosh that we learned yesterday. If, where the Rosh said the issue is somebody has to look after the animal because animals do act instinctually. Animals don't make choices, dietary choices. And therefore if there's food that an animal shouldn't be eating and there's an animal... Somebody should be watching that the animal and the food don't get together. If the owner is around, then he should be doing it. If the, if the owner is not around, then the person who intruded should be doing it. In this case, since the owner withdraws out of respect for her, 
she has to take on responsibility for watching the animal because somebody has to watch the animal. He has to withdraw. She's rolling up her sleeves. So she has to take care of the animal. That's only fair. So according to the Rosh, it's, it's fine. It makes sense. And the Pilpula Kharifta in the, on the Rosh says, in fact, that um, in, in a case where the owner is, is clearly not present, she has to be responsible for it. But according to Tosfus's view yesterday, where Tosfa said the issue is not should you have anticipated, should, shouldn't you have anticipated. The important thing is who triggers the nezek, who causes the damage. And we said the man who put his fruit in the, in the neighbor's yard, he was just a goyen, that was just groma. I put the food there and that made it possible for the animal to eat the fruit and to become damaged. But the animal's choice to uh, go against its instinct and eat something it shouldn't be eating, that's the animal's problem. In other words, the owner of the animal's problem. So the, the Tosfus isn't looking at it from the perspective of who should have been watching out for the animal. Tosfus is looking at it from the perspective of who triggered the, the damage. So here, let's look at the two cases. In the case of the mill, the woman comes in with her wheat to grind in the mill, and the man withdraws. The woman says, it's not, I, I didn't know that the man isn't there. I'm at the mill. He should, be, he should be around watching his animals. Not my problem. She didn't trigger the damage. But if she's rolling up her sleeves, she's making it impossible for the owner to be there. She's requiring that the owner leave. If she's requiring that the owner leave, she's creating the conditions for the damage. And therefore, even according to Tosfus, she becomes responsible for the, for the animals eating. What's interesting to notice is this idea of, of Bai heat Tzniyuta, that she needs the Tzniyut. We're accustomed to Tzniyut being presented as, uh, talked about as something that the men impose on the women. I'm here, so you've got to be dressed properly. I want to daven, so you've got to be dressed properly, or you've got to be behind the, the Mechitza. We see even from the language of the Gemara, and certainly from the whole sugya, that there's another perspective to it. A woman has the right to Tzniyut. A woman is entitled in situations where she has to reveal herself. She's entitled to the privacy of not, not being imposed upon. So the, the dynamic between men and women is such that the halacha is enormously sensitive to it. Hashem designed the world in such a way that women are physically attracted to men. Hashem gave men that desire and he gave women that attractiveness. That's a dynamic that needs to be present in order for, the, for society to function. And it's not just for procreation. It's important for procreation as well. We see what happens when that starts disappearing. We're looking at the world at the moment where you've got negative population growth in most developing countries in the world and, and non-developing countries in the world. And certainly in the, in the West, in parts of, of Asia, in virtually all of Asia, there's a negative population growth. And that has enormously worrying consequences for the economy. You can't, you can't sustain a, an economy in a declining population area. You can't, there, there is no growth. Israel is one of the few countries that is, where there's a very positive population growth. So for the purpose of sustaining society, men and women have to be attracted to each other. And we look, we're living in a society where there's been such gender convergence that there's no attraction anymore. Men are with men, and women are with women, and when men are with women, they're as if they're with men, and when women are with men, they're as if they're, they're with women. There's no, that tension of, of, of gender tension is, has been removed from society to a large extent, and the result of that is 
not only population stagnation, but population deterioration. But it's not only that. The positive, the male and female forces are forces of, of reality. They're forces in Kabbalah. They're energetic forces. There is an energy when, when a man and a woman, even if they're not having any, any physical relationship, a man and a woman are working together, or a man and a woman are having a conversation together, or men and women are sitting at the table together. There's a certain energy there which is a constructive energy and potentially a destructive energy. And that's how Shem created. Now, what, when a woman wants to be just a woman, she wants to be herself without having to worry about this trans, well, I won't use the word transgender, this, intergen, this intergender energy that we're talking about. Because then if, if, the, if that energy is there, everybody's aware of it. If that energy is there, a woman is there and there are men around, she's aware of the fact. Men are around and there's a woman present, he's aware of the fact. That's, that's normal, that's natural, that's how it's meant to be. What happens if she doesn't want that? If she wants to be able to roll up her sleeves and not feel she's being stared at, not feel she's being looked at as an object, but that she's still looked at as a human being within her own right. Kvod Matbat Melech Pnima is not a legislation for a woman. It's the right of a woman. Kvod Bat Melech Pnima means a, a princess. That's how a princess operates. She operates with the, the allure of her inner being being something out of reach of everybody else. And that's a concept, by the way, we'll have other opportunities to talk about. It's a concept in Torah. It's a concept of life. The inner power of the Torah needs to be out of the reach of, of the average person. That gives it its allure. That gives it its attractiveness. When, when the Torah becomes overly available, it loses its, its attraction. When a woman becomes overly available, she loses her attraction. That's Kvod Bat Melech Prima. She has the right to be, Tzniut means hidden. And not hidden in the sense of hide her away so we don't see her. It, it's hide her beauty in a way that she is alluring rather than in a way that, that she is imposing in terms of her physical presence. And so by it, she has a right. She comes to knead her dough. She wants to roll up her sleeve. She doesn't want men standing around. There's an obligation on the men to withdraw. Now, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch words it a little, a little differently. The Shulchan Aruch says, The men withdraw so that they shouldn't look at her. So you say, so stand there and don't look at her. You don't have to leave the room. Stand there and don't, and don't look at her. That's not natural. For a man to be in the presence of an attractive woman and not look at her, that's unnatural. It's far more natural just to leave the room, not to be there at the, at the time. And that's what the Torah requires in, in such a circumstance. So in the Shulchan Aruch, it's mentioned as Kadesh Lo Yabituba, they move away because they don't want to look at her. But in the, the way the Gemara actually words it, she needs the Tzniut, she needs the privacy of space. It's the same in a shul. Many women have told me they need a Mechitza. They want to be able to sit and daven, they want to cry if they, if they need to, they want to feel their emotions. They don't want men to be watching them while they're in such an intimate, when a woman is being intimate, she doesn't want to be watched. So that the, the mechitza is also to provide her for a sacred space in which she can be a woman without men gazing at her. Because a woman can't be a woman when the men are gazing at her. She just wants to be herself. She's kneading her dough, she's making a challah, she's rolling up her sleeve, she doesn't want men standing around. The men are obligated to create that space for her, and she needs to know that that's the case. She needs to realize by rolling up her sleeve, she's made it impossible for the men to be there, and therefore she has to take responsibility for the goat. That's, that's her requirement. That's, require, that's how we understand the sugya. What's important is a piece of, the, uh, of Yamshil Shlomo, 
the Maharshal. Maharshal lived at the same time as the, as the Ramor. This is the time of the Shulchan Aruch. And the Maharshal writes, in Poland and in Western Europe, the women are walking around in any case with short sleeves. Now, I don't know whether the Maharshal learns the same as the Chazanish, that he means that they roll their sleeves up or they wear short sleeves up to their elbows, or he means that they don't wear sleeves at all. It's difficult for me to think that in, in Europe, in Poland and, and in, in Europe at that time, they weren't wearing sleeves at all. He says the men and the women aren't wearing sleeves at all. And they didn't have tank tops and things there. So I think the marshal is not learning like the Chazanish. I think the marshal is learning there's a problem even with the lower part of, of the arm. But he's saying, but in our society, this is now back in the 16th century, in our society, men are, women are walking around and men sleevelessly in any event. So now the Frum guy comes along and says, you should have been looking after my goat because you rolled up your sleeves, I had to leave. Says the marshal, forget it. What do you mean you had to leave? You sit in your office and women are there with short sleeves. You walk in the street and women are there in short sleeves. You even go to shul and there are women there with short sleeves. Now because this woman came to knead her dough with her short sleeves, you want her to pay for the goats because you, you claim you had to leave because of her short sleeves. That's not the society we're living in. So you see Halacha starting to deal with the tension between Choshen Mishpat and Orachayim, between the laws of Tzniyut and the laws of mandatory laws. Don't use Frumkeit to claim money from, from somebody else. That's not, that's not valid. If you're in a society where nobody wears short sleeves, she rolls up her sleeves, the right thing for you to do is to leave the room, then you can say it's her responsibility to take care of the goat. But if you're living in a society where nobody rolls up their sleeves, leaving aside whether that's right or wrong, he says, it's not right, it's tragic that, the, that we've lost that sensitivity to tzniut. But from a Christian mishpat perspective, from laws of money, says the marshal, that's the fact. The fact is you don't have to leave the room. And if you've left the room, don't blame it on, on her. That was your own carelessness to leave the goat and not to make necessary arrangements for somebody to be taken care of the goat before. So we just see, as, as we learn through these, these mesechtas, how on the side, apart from the important principles we learn every day, to be able to learn some of the side principles that give us a sense of how the laws of Tzniyut work, particularly as they interact with the laws of, uh, of monetary matters. 